In episode six, Susanna shares a story about how the fight for sobriety made her reimagine and ultimately find a home within her own frame. I hope you guys enjoy episode six, Home is in My Own Frame. I had my last drink exactly one week before my 25th birthday. A tall boy of some kind that I picked up at a gas station. That's usually how it went. Drinking was less of a habit and more of a compulsion, a piece of my life that I hated but did not seem to know how to step away from. I laid in bed that night, for the first time aware of my decision. I had been sober for five days before that, so I lay there crying and regretting my choice. My drinking had turned me into someone I did not know and I did not like. I will never forget my birthday from that year and the day after. Sarah and Caroline, two old friends from college, happened to be coming into town for a concert and asked to spend the day with me. When I reminded them that that day was going to be my birthday, they asked me to choose what I would like to do for the day. Unlike my usual method of birthday planning, a haphazard and impulsive decision, I was intentional about my choice and opted out of the usual brewery or brunch that I might normally have requested. Instead, I asked to go to an apple orchard. My birthday is in the early fall, so a choice like this would seem innocent enough. But in reality, it was a carefully curated plan to keep myself in the safest places possible. Of course, these friends had no clue of the intentionality of choosing a place where I could keep my temptations at bay. We drove out together to the orchard through the mountains of Appalachia. That time of year is when the nights are starting to get chilly and the leaves are just starting to turn a yellowy green. When we got to the orchard, we got out and joked about families and matching t-shirts and corn cannons. For some reason, the sky always seemed twice as big on a day like that. And this is the kind of day that it was. A big blue sky without a cloud in it. It was the kind of day where you can't stop laughing. Every sentence leaves a stitch in your side. We were picking apples and snorting with laughter, causing families to awkwardly pass us on the narrow orchard paths. We ran around the corn maze like hooligans. All the while, I forgot all of the things that I was trying to forget. I'd managed to choose exactly what I needed in order to help keep my temptations back. Eventually, the orchard's entertainment dried up and we headed back to where we came with our apples and Sarah's pumpkin. When we got back, we went to a coffee shop. We asked a man to move seats so that we could take up space at the community table, which we pretty much took up the whole table of, and played a new board game that I had just gotten. We played and chatted into the late afternoon until it was time for them to drive back across the state to their home. So the two got in Sarah's green Subaru and drove off, and I went home. I had no plans for the rest of the evening, a dangerous game for someone like me. I went home and made dinner and did the only thing that I could think to do with my evening. So I watched Sweet Home Alabama. When the movie ended, the thoughts I avoided all day came to me at once. I had made it so close to the end of the day without a drink, and now it was starting to hit me. Two parts of me fought inside my chest, a desire to drink and a desire to stay sober. Tears were coming down my face 
and I began to sit on my own hands, a desperate attempt to physically hold myself back. I don't know how long I was like that, but all I could think was, if I make it to tomorrow, I'll be sober for a week. If I make it to tomorrow, I'll be sober for a week. I, I did make it. I made it a week. That next day, the one that marked a week sober, Richard took me fly fishing. This was his birthday gift to me. We met up and drove out to one of his favorite spots. It took an hour to get there, all on winding two-lane roads, the kind of roads that are really fun to drive on unless you get stuck behind a snowbird who doesn't know how to drive in the mountains. Days like this, the leaf flickers are out, so we got caught behind more than one slow driver. I didn't have any gear to wear, so Richard suited me up in some gear that was twice my size, and we go down to the water. The stream is cold and shaded by low-hanging trees that are starting to change colors. Once I was in it for a while, I adjusted to the cold water and it didn't bother me so much. Richard begins to show me how to flick the line. The fly at the end of the line goes down just low enough to graze the water. Richard's eyes are trained to see the trout. Even amongst the shadows, rocks, and leaves floating along, he points out to me where a fish is. I don't see it, but I believe him. We spread out a little bit in the water and I try my skills. I repeatedly have to call Richard back as I catch a tree branch instead of a mountain trout. I'm sorry, I say as I lose another fly to the branch of the tree. It's okay, Suze. Richard is the only person that I let call me a nickname. After a few times of doing this, Richard reaches up to an overhanging limb and breaks off a branch. On the branch, there are a half dozen rusty fly hooks, and he points out that I'm not the first, nor will I be the last, to lose flies to those trees. We both came back empty-handed, and Richard, short a little more because of all the flies that I snagged on the branches. It might have been a lesson in fishing, but it was more than that. I was learning how to be in my own body again. Alcohol told me a lot of lies. But one of the worst of these was that I cannot be home in my own skin without it. I lost my ability to be present. Every day, I opted out of my own life. It took me a month to figure out how to go home at night without stopping at the gas station. Six months to be comfortable with my own friends and family. A year to learn how to be social with people I didn't know. I don't even think my family knew at least not all of them, that I quit drinking until two years later. I'm thankful, though. I'm thankful that I can be present in ways I never was before. I'm thankful I no longer wrestle to take up space in my own body. I'm thankful that my joy has returned. And I'm thankful that I can be home in my own frame. Thank you guys so much for listening to episode six of the Layover Podcast. You can find more from Susanna on Instagram at Susanna Bliss. That's S-U-S-A-N-N-A-H-B-L-I-S-S. As always, thank you guys so much for listening. Literally every like, share, comment helps more than you know. Share with a friend, forward to a family member. It helps so much and is appreciated beyond words. It's a wrap for May's theme, y'all. 
We did it with six episodes instead of 15, like I wanted to choose. Thank you to every single person who submitted. And I want to encourage you guys, even if your story was not selected, to continue to write, continue to submit, because this is bigger than the layover. It's about your history. It's about your voice. It's about your story. And at the end of the day, you can build a very powerful archive for yourself. Next month's theme and is available for submission starting tomorrow is situationships. Yes, June's theme is situationships because it's getting hot, y'all. It's getting hot. And you know what that means. These situationships start bubbling. So you can go to thelayover.com slash submit and enter your story starting tomorrow.